Well, one of the things, of course, that I'm here to do today is to address the subject of uh, a study of a systematic study of Scripture. And uh, don't be uh, overwhelmed or too impressed with uh, the topic. This is a topic that all Christians of your age uh, should be able to um, study and know the more you understand God's perspective of reality and truth, the better you'll be able to live the Christian life. The better you can live the Christian life the way God intends it to be lived, the more you will be fulfilled as a person. In other words, it's, it's really kind of a strange phenomenon because people have the idea, well, I give up something to live the Christian life. Man, what you gain is way beyond whatever you might step aside from. And what you step aside from probably was detrimental to really your sense of well-being and this abundant life that God has called us to. So the more you understand God's perspective and God's truth and God's reality, the better off you will be, the happier you will be, the more fulfilled you will be, the more abundant your life will be. If God is behind all of this, you need to understand his perspective. So you have a handout sheet there. Let me just uh, highlight a couple of things. I'm not going to go into detail here. Uh, Basically, uh, Wayne Grudem, who is the author that we will be using, and this is the book, and please don't be terrified by the size of the book. (laughs) This is basically a two-year study. We'll just take it segment by segment by segment by segment. And... um, It's more introductory than uh, profoundly Um, in-depth, but uh, you can can make it as deep as you want in terms of your own personal study. Some of you who take the course will find you'll really dig into it in the most profound way, and you're at a point where you can really absorb a lot of it. Some of you, it'll be a little more introductory, but you may choose to take the course and begin to initiate this kind of a study. But anyway... Wayne Grudem defines uh, his study of systematic theology or parallel doctrine with what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular subject. It could be God, theology, man, anthropology, uh, salvation. I'm not going to give you the technical terms for everything here. The church, incarnation, faith. Uh, The message that I'll give this morning will contain three basic uh, themes from the Bible in terms of systematic theology. The first will be God, and uh, we'll deal with the subject of theology. Who is he? And we'll have just a segment of that. Then we're going to deal with the subject of man, anthropology. And who is man? What is man? That's the question that will be asked by our text. And the final thing we'll deal with was this issue of our union with Christ, which is another area of study that is so important for us that you need to really get a hold of it. So at any rate, uh, I just to say that to say what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular subject. Why should we study systematic theology? We have embraced God as the source of truth and reality. Have you? Is that your source? Let me tell you, a lot of us are still colored by the culture we live in and affected profoundly by the culture we live in. 
and many of the patterns in the culture do not really reflect the reality and truth of God. We need to understand truth and reality from God's perspective as given us in Scripture. <clears throat> we need to become adequate and confident in understanding God's Word. We need to be confidently equipped to serve others in our homes, <coughs> the church, and the world. And then we just need to love God, to grow in our appreciation of God and His goodness toward us. This Christian life is a good life, a rich life, and can be an abundant life. Um, I, as I referenced before, this is our text, Wayne Grudem. Man, we all, those of us who are familiar with some of the theologian in, in, theologians in the country, profoundly appreciate. He's a real worshiper of God, lover of God. Uh, he's not overly impressed with the ivory tower. And uh, he does a great job of presenting God's word, God's truth. <clears throat> uh, when you uh, take the course, uh, you'll have about approximately two months to do the studying. Some of you are so used to uh, crunching, you'll wait till the last week and then do all the studies and so on. I really encourage you, try not to do that. Try to do it over a period of time and uh, do a little bit every week as we build towards our coming together. But uh, you'll end up reading most of Wayne Grudem. You'll listen to two CDs that will be given you, and the author that I have chosen, or the speaker I've chosen, is R.C. Sproul. You will profoundly enjoy him. <clears throat> you'll need to answer assigned questions, and then you'll choose a topic or a text from your study and make a simple talk outline now, I'm, I'm trying to reduce that to the place of a talk outline. It can be a, you can be a full-blown sermon if you want to do it. But all I want is just maybe three or four points, a text, and what the purpose is uh, of your text. What, what is the point you want to make? And it's, so it's not, it shouldn't be an overwhelming thing for any one of us here to, to do that. <clears throat> so you'll need to purchase the book. Uh, you will need uh, an NIV translation of the Bible or something that's very akin to the NIV because we don't want text taking us all over the place, especially transliterations. Uh, the cost of the course will be $100. And this will pay for the photocopy assignments and supportive materials that I'll give out, which will be quite a few things. And it will also cover two CDs for each lecture. So at any rate, I think that's very reasonable if you take it into perspective in terms of the stuff that you'll be getting. Uh, I want you to use a three-hole punch notebook for assignment sheets and the materials that are given out bi-monthly, <laughs> supplemental materials, and for your own personal notes and answers to the assignment. So there it is, gang. It's on the platter. And if you're interested and feel the Lord speaking to your heart that this is something for you, I would welcome you to join me in this study that'll take, that will be coming up. By the way, I should add, this will probably take us approximately two years to get through the material. And uh, because there, we have certain times of the year, for instance, Christmas, when we'll maybe take a little extra time out and so forth. So it'll take about two years to do this.
If I hobble a little bit, forgive me, but I, uh, I think from probably an old basketball injury, I injured my back uh, years ago, and now I'm paying for it. And uh, so I have a little neuropathy in my lower limbs, and uh, sometimes it affects me a little more than others. So I'd like to address the topic this morning of what is man, and uh, the line that's given us in Psalm 8, which will be our text, is, what is man, God, that you're mindful of him? Why is he special in your sight? Why are you special in God's sight? We're Christian people, and as a Christian people, we need to understand God's perspective of reality and God's perspective of truth. That's why we would do the systematic study. That's why you're here in church, to be informed in that regard, to gain perspective. Perspective is everything. If you're working as a Christian from a cultural perspective, you're going to miss the ball. You're really going to miss it. You will not capture the fullness and the richness of the Christian life. This is one of the reasons why we study Scripture, to understand God, His way, His reality, His truth, that it might reflect in how we think, how we speak, and how we act. The Scriptures speak of Jesus Christ, who is God, made flesh and dwelt among us, and speaks of Him in this way, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the embodiment of truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I was recently in California um, uh, trying to help my daughter who has had heart surgery here recently. And one of her doctors, who is an MD, but also a man of Chinese medicine and acupuncture and very much new age, and he came over to see her, brought her a bouquet and so forth. And he was just leveling out the field in terms of every, every way, all of the different ways lead us to the top of the mountain. And uh, he was including Jesus and was very gracious in his statements about Jesus and so forth. And I just uh, at a point said, you know, uh, uh, trying to think of his name, is it Arthur? Anyway, Arthur, uh, I'm very troubled though about one thing. Jesus said some things that were very exclusive. And he paused and he said, well, uh, what was that? And I said, well, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And uh, that didn't quite end our conversation, but it came close to it. (laughs) Now, you know, I understand where he's coming from because there are some good things in his thoughts about Buddha. He's a Buddhist. Uh, There are some good things you can find almost in any philosophical or religious system. I don't want to discount that, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Perspective. Um, Paul speaks of uh, Jesus, and he says, uh, truth is in Jesus. Truth is in Jesus. And then he goes on in chapter 5 and says, be imitators of God. You're to be an imitator of God. And there's something about God that can be communicated to you. The humanist, pers- uh, the humanist perspective places man in the center. 
And we often ourselves fall into the trap of making ourselves the center of our reality, making ourselves the center that we look to. And it's all about me. Life is all about me. Dangerous for the Christian to think that way. Because we have a center outside of ourselves, thank God, that we can look to, that's safe and secure. Perspective will determine our sense of identity. Perspective will determine our meaning for human existence. So I have two questions for you this morning. What is man or who are you? And secondly, what are you here for? Who are you? What are you here for? Well, perhaps the psalmist has some answers for us in this regard. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry. Psalms chapter 8. <laughs> Psalm chapter 8. And here the psalmist addresses this subject. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air, fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So a very short psalm. It begins with doxology, praise to God. It ends with doxology, praise to God. I love the passage in Hebrews where the uh, writer of Hebrews says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Basically, what is that all about? What is the psalmist saying? Addressing the subject with doxology toward God at the beginning and the end. It's saying there is one true center for all who are human beings, and that true center is God himself. We are not that center. This, is, this center is outside of us. It's a safe and secure center. It's a center that gives us significance. It's a center that gives us purpose and meaning for existence, and we need to capture the sense of that. So the psalmist then goes on, and he suggests the creation exists for the glory of God. This whole creation around us exists for the glory of God. He identifies the creator as God. He identifies man as a unique, unique creature in the midst of the creation, a very special creature in the midst of the creation. The phrase in the psalmist is, when I consider the heavens and the works of your hand. 
And he's basically saying to us that that creation around us is a voice that speaks to us. And it's a very adequate voice that speaks to us of the creator himself. The sense of that is captured in a couple of passages in, um, well, first of all, the book of Romans. And I would have you, if you have your Bible again, turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 18. a passage where Paul is speaking about the importance of proclaiming the word of God. How then will they call on him in whom they have not heard? This is verse 14. And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So he's saying, you know, it's really important for us to be faithful, to get out there and share the gospel with other people. That's a very important thing. They need to hear the truth of God, the gospel. But then he goes on, beginning in verse 16, when I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have heard, apart from preaching. And then he quotes from uh, the Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Turn with me again, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. In verse 20. And here Paul addresses the subject again. In verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Ever since the creation of the world. So essentially he's saying that the creation speaks to us of God himself. There are three sources of revelation that I think we will study in our, that we will study in our course. One is the revelation of scripture. But then there is one who is called the Word, the personification of the Word, Jesus Christ himself. And then finally, there's the whole creation that speaks to us. And you'll notice that he establishes some parameters as to what the creation does say to us. The revelation speaks to us of the power of God. It's awesome. And speaks to us of his deity. But we don't get the full gospel from creation. However, the creation is adequate to speak to a man in such a way or a woman in such a way that it would initiate a desire and a hunger to know the creator himself and to move us toward exploring that. Let's talk a little bit about the creation itself. Sometimes we reduce God in some very uh, inappropriate ways. But let's see if we can capture a little bit of the bigness of God, the power of God, the wonder of who God is. It was caught this morning in one of the songs we sing, invisible, all-powerful, and so forth. 
The astrophysicists today estimate that there may be as many as 8 billion galaxies out there. Whatever, there are a bunch of them out there. <laughs> We're in one of those, called the Milky Way. In the Milky Way, there are several solar systems. We're in one of the solar systems within one of the galaxies called the Sun. In that particular setting, there is this little planet that spins around the Sun called Earth. And this little Earth is so balanced in the right place with the moon that plays a very important role in that balance. And you can go on and on about the complexity and the beauty of all of this. That is our home. Earth and the universe. And God is the author of all of this. Awesome. So above us. So beyond <laughs> us. And so as we look at the universe, it speaks to us of this. And then as scripture develops this theme of who God is, we speak of him as being infinite, not finite, not limited, not limited by anything finite. Our, our creaturely senses want to sometimes reduce him to that. But he's above all of this. He is eternal and above time. He is self-existent, a term that's used theologically as aseity, but totally self-existent within himself. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is present. A friend of mine a while back gave me a plaque, like about so, and it says, bidden or unbidden, God is present here. And I appreciate that plaque, and I've placed it on my uh, bureau drawer, my bureau, uh, top of my bureau in my bedroom. How should we approach God, our Creator? Again, in the Old Testament, we have this repeated several times in various ways. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when we think in terms of fear, sometimes we just think of terror. It's a little more than that. It's number one, awe. I just described the universe. Are you awed by this universe? God's above all of that. He's greater than all of that. He's the creator of all of that. So part of this fear of God is awe. Part of it is respect. Do you respect who he is? He is our ultimate sense of accountability. Now, you know, a lot of Christians, and the way they approach the Christian life is... They get saved, and it's really appropriate for us to desire to be saved. But that's not the end of it all. It's not just all about us getting saved. It's about now and God and living the Christian life in a meaningful and rich and fulfilling way for his glory and for his praise. So on the one hand, we really do need to have accountability to God, an awareness of who he is. He is not just our butler gang. He's just not our butler. He's, he's not there just to make life easy, to make things, everything work right in this fallen world. And let me tell you, things don't work right in this fallen world. You're going to experience some of that, and you have experienced some of that. You've experienced some of the hurt that comes from the fall and the result of that in your life as you've encountered it. Unfortunately, part of it's in you too, so you have to deal with that piece of it as well. So having established some sense of who God is, let me ask the question, what is man? 
Who are you as mankind, male and female? I like the principle of first truth. And in the principle of first truth, it's good to go, take, go, back, go back in the scriptures to first mention. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You'll excuse me as I go back and forth here. I'm dealing with two sets of notes this morning, which is always a dangerous thing to try to do in a speech. In terms of first mention, this is what we have concerning man, mankind. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over everything creeping that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, made male and female, he created them. Now here's what we have here, gang. We have two things. We have on the one hand, God giving a particular creature, your creatures, okay? A particular creature, um, a special um, distinctive from the rest of the creatures. Here, Adam and Eve are in the garden, creatures. And he imparts to them this issue of his image and his likeness. So that's the baseline for human identity. And that's the baseline for your identity, which you really, how should I put it? It's one of the hardest things we deal with to have a good, significant sense of who I am. But the baseline here is you each one of you is made in the image and likeness of God. And that distinguishes you from the rest of the creation around you. And it gives you significance. This is something that is given us. It's derived. It's not intrinsic. It's given us by God to mark us as significant. So what's happening here this morning? I am looking at some very significant creatures. <laughs> and you're looking at a very significant creature made in the image and likeness of God. I, I wish I could just camp on that and say, let's begin to take our identity from that sense of significance. You know, our biggest problem is that we start to gain, we try to gain significance by comparing ourselves with other human beings. And there is a basis then to begin to feel a little inferior because there's always someone smarter or someone better looking or someone more talented or someone more athletically gifted or Someone who is just the Renaissance person, they can do it all, you know. 
If you take your sense of worth on the basis of your comparing yourself with someone else, you've got to either be superior or inferior, one of the two. It's very interesting. I, I'll lay you odds that every one of you have picked on yourself mercy, merc, mercilessly at different points in your life. You've really put yourself down. But it's very interesting. If somebody else does this, you get your fists and you begin to defend yourself, and you're not going to let someone else talk that way. But you do it to yourself. You can crucify yourself. You know, your baseline is this. Dear friends, as redeemed humanity, you are the image bearer of God. And that's the, that's the base of your significance. That's where it all starts. And no matter what, how other human beings function, you need to have that sense of significance to rise above the culture, to rise above this comparing yourselves, and to realize that you have special significance established by God and you need to accept who you are. I I remember uh, one time as a late teenager, I was struggling with this a little bit myself. Now, I've given you this before, but not all of you have heard this. And uh, the point I want to make here is simply this. This little poem came along, and it was just so good for me. Don't be what you ain't. Just be what you is. If you is not what you am, then you are not what you is. If you're just a little tadpole, don't try to be the frog. If you're just the tail, don't try to wag the dog. If you can't exhort and preach, you can always pass the plate. Don't be what you ain't. Just be what you is. You know, this issue of accepting yourself or how God made you and your uniqueness is established in that you're the image bearer of God, made in his likeness. So anyway, significance. Now, secondly, purpose. Two very important things to the human being, that we would have significance, that we would have purpose. And the purpose of Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, it speaks of having dominion or ruling over. Basically, the idea is simply this, I think reduced to what we need to say now. They were there to mediate the character of God into the creation. They were there to mediate the purposes of God into the creation around about them. And in that sense, to rule over it, to bless it. We're going to come back to this, but let me just raise the question again. Then, what about you? And what's your purpose? When we think of being made in the image of likeness of God, we kind of wander around wondering exactly what that looks like. Is it intellectual ability, the marvelous capacity that we have to compute and order so that we can have science? Hey, look at what man, fallen or unfallen, has done in terms of science, technology, medicine, you name it. Is it intellectual ability? Is it our spiritual nature? our sense of personhood, our communicative abilities, our ability to make moral choices. Well, probably it's some of all of these, but I would say more important to us and something we can really dig into and get our hands on is the fact that there are also the communicable attributes of God. Now, earlier on, we talked about other attributes, all-powerful, everywhere present, all-knowing, infinite, and so forth. These are attributes that don't mark us. But here are some of the other attributes of God that can be ours, the communicable attributes of God. Love, 
God is love. Mercy, goodness, justice, righteousness, knowledge, wisdom, truthfulness, spirituality. I love the repetition, especially in the Psalms, but in many other portions of Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, speaking of the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, the said of the Old Testament. And then we have this nature of God, a covenant God, a God that makes covenant with us and keeps his word to us. These are the qualities that should mark us, that we're growing in and, and, and becoming more fully aware of, that then gives a message to the world around us that God is there. They speak of God to the creation. And through the demonstration and application of these attributes, we mediate the presence of God. And in a sense, I can't develop this, but in a sense, we really have dominion. We're ruling over because we apply these truths about God to the world we live in. So two things mark mankind, male and female, Adam and Eve, significance and purpose. As we talk about purpose, what do we, what do we have in view there? Over and over again, the scriptures speak to us of the fact that we exist for the glory of God. Now, sometimes this word just kind of floats around up there. Sometimes like faith is very cerebral and needs to be, be spoken and acted upon. The glory of God has legs to it. It really has legs. And I'd like to, to, to perhaps put the legs on in this fashion. Number one, we glorify God by fulfilling the purposes of God in this world. We glorify God, secondly, by demonstrating his character, the communicable attributes of God as we live our lives. Now, one of the problems that Adam and Eve, Eve had, and I'm going to just have to move right along here because I'm going to deal with another topic quickly, that is that there was a fall, a space-time fall. And in that, Adam lost his center. One of the, maybe the best ways to talk about, one of, one of the ways to talk about sin, there are a number of ways to talk about sin, but one of the ways to talk about sin is uh, captured in the word alienation. Get, get a hold of this, the word alienation, because that's what happens when man moves away from his true center. The first act of sin is moving away from our true center. The first act of sin is moving away from him to me and be self-centered. And so this is what happened in the fall. And in that fall, sin entered into the world. As you talk about alienation, there are probably a number of different ways we could describe this. There's alienation from our true center, God, theologically. There's alienation away from our true center to man within ourselves, psychologically. There's alienation in terms of other human beings, sociologically. And look at the devastation that's in the world today, the way we are murdering one another. Well, you look at Islam today, between the Sunni and the Shiite. They both are looking to Allah, supposedly, but they're murdering each other within the different camps that are there. 
but you don't have to go over there. You can just come right over here and cut off the top of any of all of the roofs of any city block, and you'll find alienation between husbands and wives and parents and children and some devastating and hurtful things that go on within families. So you have alienation from God, alienation from yourself, alienation from your fellow man, alienation from the environment, and we sometimes are so abusive in this regard, and ultimately, death itself. Now, Scripture, and again, this is a big leap here, Scripture, Old Testament-wise, is constantly describing, as we move historically through the Old Testament, pointing to the final and ultimate redemptive act of God to reestablish, um, to establish uh, the forgiveness of this human creature and to reconnect this human creature fully to God himself. In other words, the Old Testament is looking forward, as John the Baptist pointed out, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then we have the act of Christ coming, the midpoint of history, and the beginning, uh, the midpoint of redemptive history. I'm trying to move rapidly through this, and uh, I, I'm to, to, to establish a timeline. Now we are on the other side of God's redemptive history. Christ has come, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away of the sins of the world, has come. And at the cross paid the penalty for our sins, and resurrection and resurrection life gave us hope for eternal life and eternal existence as we embrace him. So what then is man? What then is the redeemed saved man? Is there any difference between you and Adam and Eve? Well, to establish, again, baseline or simplicity here, you're here living in your garden. You're Adam, you're Eve in your garden. God in his design, uh, providential design for us, has established you a time to exist, a time, a place to exist in, a particular setting, and you're here in your garden, even as Adam and Eve were in their garden. Who am I then? The image bearer of God. Why am I here? To glorify God. Now, you know, when you think in terms of human life today and the ideas of accomplishment that we have and fulfillment that we have, we have the professions, we have the work that we need to do, uh, we have all of the other aspects of human life that we need to enter into and so forth. But there is something that transcends this. So we do these things. So we go to school. So we go to college, some of us. So we enter into this profession or that profession. So we establish homes and families and children and so forth. But what transcends all of that? Above all of that is this calling to be the image bearer of God, to be this significant creature, and in purpose to mediate his presence and his character and his purposes into the world around us. That which is true, reality, to establish that and act on it and think that way and speak that way and act that way, live life fully that way.
How do we go about then establishing our true center? I think Paul speaks to us so well of this. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as living sacrifices to God. I'm going to miss my point here. Let me turn to it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Interesting the way he puts it. It's an act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, the culture and its voices, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's the point I wanted to get to, that there is a place for the mind in the Christian life. I heard this phrase one time years ago in a church that I thought was really a little bordering on cultic, get out of your mind and into your spirit. Well, that's not the plan that God has for us. These minds are very valuable and a part of God's way of working in us. We need to have these, these minds renewed in the truth of who am I and what am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? And then I'd like to take you to one other passage, and that's Luke 9.23, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9 and verse 23. Luke 9.23. Let me tell you, this is a very, very, very important scripture. Uh, it's reiterated in many different ways in the Gospels and then also in the Epistles. But here Jesus uh, speaks very frankly to us, and he says this to us. If any man will come after me, that's you, right? You've chosen to come after him. You've chosen Christ as your Savior. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> let him take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. So let me capture a few words here. Earlier on, we talked about the renewal of our minds. Here Jesus talks about daily. If you're like me, you leak. I need a daily renewal. I need time with the Lord to establish who I am and what I'm here for. And so Jesus says daily, be renewed in this. Be renewed in this. Be renewed in this daily. If you're going to come after Christ, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. Basically, I think what he's saying there, at least to me, is I'm not the center. It's not all about me. I don't have to defend myself all the time. If somebody speaks poorly of me, I can easily say to them, well, cheer up. I'm much worse than you think I am. You know, I don't have to defend myself. Because I know who I am in Christ. I'm the image bearer of God. And I'm here to reflect his character. Now, Jesus set a pattern for us that is phenomenal. And he laid down his life for us. So he speaks of the importance of taking up our cross daily. There's a sense in which each day we die to ourselves. We're saying, I am not the center. 
He is the center. If I keep my eye on the true center for my life today, I can fulfill my purpose. And I can walk in significance. No matter what other people say, no matter what other people think, I have a significant presence because I'm the image bearer of God. I can mediate the presence of God. I can mediate the presence of God's character. I'd love to develop that theme, but at least you're getting the idea of what I'm trying to get to here. I'm trying to establish a baseline. This, in, the, in, in simplicity, is what it's all about. We were created by God in his image and likeness to mediate his presence into the world around us, to mediate his purposes. Gaining God's perspective of human existence. Augustine spoke of this when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So you're not at home when you're the focus. You're home when God is your focus. John 10.10 speaks to us. This is a passage that years ago when I was with Campus Crusade, we used part of our four law presentation. And here Paul says, uh, or here Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let me tell you, the only way to experience the abundance that he's speaking of here is to live in this pattern that Jesus called us to. When you live in this pattern that Jesus called us to, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. When you live in that pattern, that perspective of life, the richness of it, you will find the abundance that he's talking about. Otherwise, you're going to be looking to money, fulfillment. You're going to be comparing yourselves with others and crucifying yourself. Scriptures also speak of the fact that we're called to freedom. One of the tyrants is yourself. Well, let me conclude this. I, I trust that you're getting what I'm trying to get, get, get at here in terms of, number one, it's, it's so important. This is why we're doing this systematic theology study. To gain God's sense of reality, to gain God's sense of truth, and then to apply it to the way we live our lives. So I would conclude with this. Dear friends, who are you? What are you here for? I would like to ask each one of you this coming week to do this for me. Start the day before everything else butts in and takes you away from the center. Start the day with your true center and address him and say, okay, Lord, who am I? Why am I here? Those two questions. Who am I and why am I here? Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you for the richness of your word. We want to thank you for the way you point out to us how to live in the abundance of the Christian life, 
how to fully enter life as you intended it to be lived. We want to thank you for establishing us as redeemed humanity in your image and likeness. Oh my goodness, thank you. And for establishing us in purposefulness and the richness of Christ. Amen.